never try, you know, to hide something. In, in reality, you need the policy when you need it. You need the policy when something really happened. This very moment when you need it most, you could be declined because you just lied at the point of policy activation. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Oleg Kotov. Oleg is an insurance agent, and today, he's going to be telling us everything we need to know about insurance. We'll cover common questions like, how much coverage do we need? What types of coverage do we need? And why an insurance policy can be more effective than getting a single-member LLC. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on my show today. I was super impressed by hearing your presentation that Saturday a couple of weeks ago. And I really wanted to bring you on the show to you know, learn some more about insurance policies. Before we get started, go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Hi, Sean, and thank you uh, very much for having me on your show. My name is Oleg Katov, and I'm a partner with the Hughes Insurance Agency located in Los Altos, California. I have master's uh, in architecture, and after spending about 17 years in construction field and about 12 years working uh, in global security operations for greatest tech companies of Bay Area, in 2012, I decided to switch uh, my interest to insurance industry to help uh, ordinary people and uh, businesses uh, protect their assets. And I have been enjoying doing so since. Very cool. We're going to start with a very unique question. What's the difference between getting insurance and just getting like a single member LLC for your asset protection? Thank you for this question. And actually, this question is very uh, interesting and uh, very important. I would do my job and answer as an insurance professional. Because this question definitely related to legal uh, field, to attorneys. But I would tell it, uh, as I understand from my perspective, it's obviously two well-known ways to defend your assets, real estate assets specifically. So some people commonly do just create an LLC, believing that uh, it would be enough to defend because they kind of uh, hiding behind the limited uh, liability corporation. But in fact, in case if uh, it's uh, a single member LLC, I don't believe that it protects you well. And as much as I know from my uh, friends who are lawyers, any person who is trying to hide behind this uh, LLC is easily traceable. So it's always uh, a personal signature. It's always a persona behind. Uh, so it's easy to crack. Creating of LLC has a cost behind. So say in California, LLC would cost you about $800 and taxes annually. In different states like Delaware or New York, it would be different price. So it uh, always balancing in between 300 and sometimes could be really expensive. Uh, like in states of New uh, state of New York, it could be up to forty five hundred bucks a year. So this is one way we can defend our assets. Another way is insurance approach, and insurance offers definitely less expensive options. I would say that general liability would always do the job. 
And if common policy does not assume much liability, so it could be up to 2 million if we're talking about commercial policy, or it could be 1 million if we're talking about personal lines. So could not be enough in, uh, for all purpose, for all cases. In this case, uh, we can always use umbrella policy, which provides, uh, provides us with unlimited numbers to protect. So from my perspective, uh, it's significantly more painless way and a cheaper way to defend uh, any real estate investor. So you're saying that if I'm a single person buying real estate, it's better off to just get a high umbrella insurance policy than create a single member LLC. I would put it this way. If I would be in your shoes and I would ask myself what I would do, yes, I would, I would purchase uh, certainly umbrella policy versus uh, creating LLC. Yeah. I know you're not an expert at LLCs, but you were saying that in Delaware, the fees are cheaper. But if you live in California and you do business in California, don't you have to pay that $800 tax anyways? Yes. Yeah. So there's no real point in doing a Delaware LLC. Uh, uh, absolutely. As I know, it's not. Uh, again, I cannot give uh, legal advice because I'm not an attorney. As much as I, as I know, yes, you still would have to pay taxes in California, even if uh, your LLC uh, is Delaware. And for reference, like if we spent $800 on an umbrella insurance policy instead of an LLC, what do you think we can get for that policy? Is it like a $2 million policy per year? Or? First of all, if you have an umbrella uh, which costs the same amount, 800 bucks, you would be probably able to approach something close to, I would say, around 3 million legal protection. And you know what? The beauty of umbrella that you uh, technically protect it no matter what. So if, if you are not doing something against the law, life happens, right? <laughs> so then you protect it uh, against any potential litigation, whatever it is. Versus you have LLC and you're paying for creating an LLC and maintaining an LLC, but you can still be chased. So people can go after you even if, if you have this LLC. Then what? So then you then you don't have anything and you have to spend your money to hire a lawyer. So do you want to talk about how an umbrella policy actually works? Many people ask me uh, sometimes, would umbrella cover uh, my loss uh, in case of uh, major events, uh, in, in catastrophic event, like, you know, my house got in fire and uh, it just does not exist anymore, right? So umbrella is definitely not for this purpose. So if you if you losing anything tangible, umbrella is not working for this. Umbrella is just to cover uh, liability as is. The other name for this policy is excess liability policy because if your we, we call it underlying policy. So you you have uh, home policy, landlord policy, and something happened and liability on uh, this policy say uh, is one million dollars. Uh, but your actual liability came to be higher than this number, right? So not million, but say one million point three. So you you kind of own three hundred thousand bucks, and in this case, umbrella if it exists uh, just uh, kicks up and help you to defend you. So it pays for uh, legal expenses. Got it. So only for legal stuff and like penalties against someone else. Like if you hit somebody with your car, okay, you owe them $2 million. Well, your insurance policy only goes up to 500000 
the umbrella kicks in and then helps you with the rest of it. Correct. Correct. But like you're saying, if your house burns down and it costs you 700 grand to rebuild it, but you only have $500 worth of insurance, then too bad. Yeah. Umbrella would not uh, work for this purpose. Got it. So what are the kinds of insurance policies that real estate investors should be buying? By default, there is no best type uh, of the policy as an abstract matter. So I cannot uh, suggest someone that purchase this because this is the best policy or buy another one because this is something better, right? Each case is individual and we have to design uh, a correct policy for a certain reason, for certain scenario. I would have to say probably that any investor should understand that there are two lines, possible lines of insurance. So it could be personal lines and it could be commercial lines. If you invest in something what is up to four uh, residential units, we can do it as personal lines of business. And in this case, it should be personal umbrella. Consider it on the top of liability on that policy. If we have a real estate object, which is higher than four units, it definitely would be fallen to commercial lines of business. So it's not possible to do as personal. Umbrella policy should be commercial in this case as well. For anyone who is investing, need to understand that typical home policy would not work uh, for the purpose of uh, landlording. So it should be landlord uh, policy in any case if uh, you renting uh, your property to other people. Landlording, again, uh, could be long-term and short-term. You have to design proper policy uh, for a proper case. So if you're using it for basically uh, giving away for a family who lives uh, years and years and years in your property, this is long term. But if you're doing something like very popular right now, uh, Airbnb, short term, it would be absolutely different type of the policy and uh, you should not make a mistake and approach this matter correctly. Yeah, because if you get a policy that's incorrect and then something happens, then you get denied, right? And then what's the whole point of getting insurance in the first place? Absolutely, Sean. Yeah. So, uh, and um, unfortunately, those cases happening in my practice, uh, when people come into me, uh, I mean, it's not my clients, <laughs> but they come in, you know, after something happened and claim was declined just because the type of policy they used uh, was not uh, correct. So do you work with lenders a lot? Like I'm sure your clients, they're buying a house and they refer to you to talk to the lender and the lender says, here are the requirements we have. So I would say, instead of the question I had before, where it was like, what are the best insurance policies for real estate investors? What are the kind of policies that lenders are forcing these buyers to get? The answer is yes. I work a lot with lenders uh, because uh, without uh, proper insurance, you technically cannot get any money from the bank, from the lender. And in normal cases, if uh, this is the case, lender requires specific type of the policy. So if uh, if it's uh, typical home insurance, it would be a home insurance requirement. If it's landlord protector, the bank would tell you they need landlord policy. Plus, it depends from the zone and zoning when the property locates. It could be a requirement for uh, flood insurance as well. So I, I never recall uh, anything like bank requires earthquake insurance. This is not uh, something I know. 
but uh, typical landlord policy in in some cases flood is enforced yeah they they dictate it and what kind of goes into like a regular hazard policy is it only protection against fire maybe some uh, rain comes through your roof what else does it cover interesting question because if rain comes through your roof because your roof was not maintained properly it's not insurable case but yeah but if uh, something happened to this roof because of wind so first it should be forcible damage i would say if a tree branch would fall you know fly to your roof and uh, punch it and then rainwater goes uh, down yes it's an insurable case and uh, typical fire insurance covers it is uh, anything else like theft could be uh, any possible damage uh, which caused by uh, say electricity plumbing system inside of your house if plumbing pipe would burst it would be covered case uh, if it would be electrical short and uh, your property would get in fire it would be coverable case. And what about landlord policy? I don't think I've heard of that one before. In very simple terms, home policy is designed to cover your residency. If you live in your house, the policy should be home insurance because you're you're occupying it, right? But in cases when the same same property is rented to other people, uh, you have to insure it as landlord protector because other people live in there and uh, you have legal responsibility uh, in front of them. And uh, you probably heard a lot uh, about cases like uh, wrongful eviction. You, you decided you don't like those people and uh, for any re- reason you ask them to vacant uh, the property. But specifically in California, this is really not smart way to <laughs> do things. If uh, attorneys are not involved, then uh, you can uh, you can be easily sued for wrongdoing. Landlord policy covers specifically those actions of uh, landlords if they somehow in dissonance with the with law. Of course, the property itself is covered because there are three major points we have to address. First, it's uh, liability. And liability always should assume uh, market value of the property. If your real estate costs $2 million, it should be at least $2 million in liability, in covered liability. And when we're talking about property itself, we have to define market value and reconstruction cost. Because reconstruction cost is always the different number and reconstruction cost should be covered uh, as a part of the policy to rebuild your policy in case of loss. Basically, to summarize, you're saying you don't want to get a regular hazard policy that covers your market value because if your house is worth $2 million, but it only costs you 700000 to rebuild it, then you're not going to get $2 million no matter what. Correct. Correct. So you, only, you should only cover 700000 But you want $2 million for liability because someone could sue you and take your home away for $2 million. You are exactly right. So uh, the, the, this is the concept. So you have to defend market value uh, using liability, part of the policy, and you have to defend actually real estate as a tangible matter, and we call it reconstruction cost. Now, when you're talking about banks getting you, like they're forcing you a landlord policy, hazard policy, and flood policy, or flood insurance policy, are those 
all like separate things or can they all be combined to one policy for you? There is no way to wrap it uh, in one policy. So flood insurance is always uh, a separate policy versus typical landlord protector or home policy. And earthquake policy would never be assumed by a regular home or landlord policy. So it's not possible to wrap it in one product and uh, you always have to deal with possibly three different policies. So if, if, if it's required, uh, you, would, you would have your regular landlord protector and then you would have, if it's re- required, sometimes it's required by a lender, you would have a flood policy. And again, it's most likely up to you to uh, have earthquake policy or not, because I, I never heard in my practice that uh, lenders uh, asking for that. And landlord protection is not hazard, right? It's separate. Landlord protect protection is technically it's a term. Uh, so it's a hazard insurance. Oh, it is hazard insurance, but for rental property. Correct. Got it. Because like I said, I have rental properties. I've never been demanded for landlord protection, Yeah, but... I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes uh, we're probably using terminology, which is not uh, a common language. So landlord protector uh, in, in a very general sense is a hazard insurance. Okay. That makes sense. What is the ballpark order of magnitude of the cost for these policies? So if you kind of ballpark a $1 million property in, let's say, San Jose, what are they expected to pay for hazard insurance? It really depends from the location and from the size of the property. I'm asking for ballpark numbers. So let's say 1,500 square feet, $1 million property in San Jose. And, you know, order of magnitude, is it going to be in the thousand dollars, 800? I would say that San Jose would be about uh, 1,200 in annual expense. Okay. But why this question is not uh, so straight and simple to answer, because it really depends from uh, the uh, fire limit zone. And if it's not uh, San Jose, but say Lafayette or Maraga, it would be absolutely different approach and uh, such policies for the same size of property would cost you up to probably 45 to five, sometimes thousand dollars a year. Whoa, 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 let's go back and talk about that. Why is it like three to four times more expensive? If uh, risks to uh, lose the property due to wildfire, and we all know who live, who live in California, we all know what happened in 2017 and 2018. Huge losses, right? And mother nature is unstoppable. So if chances that uh, your location is really exposed to this kind of threat, well, you have to pay more to uh, have a confidence that you would be reimbursed in case of loss. That makes sense. I think for the most part, at least though, our listeners don't have properties in those areas and they're mostly investing in like say Sunnyvale and San Jose. Yeah. So in this, in this case, I would say that average landlord policy would be up to $2,000 in annual expense. So an extra $800 because you don't live there. It's yeah. like a rental property. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what if it was a short-term rental, like Airbnb policy? Uh, I would assume and to expect uh, probably 
25 to 30 percent uh, higher cost. Again, depends from uh, the zip code, uh, depends from the size of the property, but uh, it certainly would be uh, more expensive. And I, I believe it's obvious why, because sh- short-term rentals, you don't know all those people who have in your space, you know, sometimes for a week or maybe just a couple of days. So your exposure to liability to something unknown is higher. And this is why the policy simply costs more. Makes sense. And what about, let's say, flood insurance? Order of magnitude for prices around that? So flood insurance would really depend from the history of floods. And there is a flood map well known to any professional, which maps the history of uh, floods, right? So how how often this place is really flooded. Mm -hmm. And some uh, zones could be uh, literally purple, (laughs) while the other ones could be just yellow. The cost of flood insurance would literally depends from zoning. If your property is in a zone where it's close to 100%, it would be flooded. Every year. (laughs) Yeah, so you, you have to pay the price. So I would suggest to anyone who is thinking about uh, purchasing uh, real estate to check on those factors first, because you know what, sometimes it uh, happens and people are really disappointed. Because I mean, flood insurance is a lot of money, honestly. It's sometimes double your regular hazard insurance. So that's why I kind of want to get a ballpark. Just like, just guesstimate, go from yellow to purple. Let's talk about our assumption. We have a property which landlord protector itself cost about $2,000. Sure. And it's in the purple zone. I would suggest that you should be ready to pay something like maybe four to 5000 bucks for flood policy. That's a lot of money. <laughs> the good advice for anyone would be just do a proper due diligence and understand what you purchased before you did it. And then let's say it was like a yellow zone. I know policies which could cost below $1,000 a year. Okay. But flat is still expensive. I mean, it's not uh, such a policy like uh, $400 for investment property. So maybe for a personal house, for a place where you live yourself, something around 600 700 is possible. But uh, if it's two units, uh, duplex, tri- uh, triplex, most likely not. It would be it would be more expensive. And how about for earthquake insurance? Earthquake, uh, I would say uh, from eighteen hundred dollars to infinity. So it really depends how much you have to defend. You were talking about how before that if you just have enough insurance, you don't need an LLC. But you also mentioned during your seminar that some assets are untouchable. They're protected from lawsuits and potentially bankruptcy. So I was wondering what kind of assets are protected in California? Again, this question probably better to address to your attorney. And uh, I would suggest based on what I know and uh, what I deal with in my practice, that pension plans, IRAs, whatever is uh, tax deferred is untouchable. You cannot touch some someone's pension money. But everything what is liquid in your brokerage accounts is very easily touchable. Even your personal residence probably, huh? Correct. And this is exactly the reason why uh, you should properly address coverage for your liability. Because if if you have real estate plus liquid assets, uh, you always have uh, to do a correct math 
yourself or with help of a professional and understand how much general liability or personal liability should be covered. So I would, I would give you an example. If, say, a person has a house in Santa Clara, which costs uh, $1.2 million, and house in Auckland, which costs 800000 we have $2 million uh, altogether in real estate assets. And this is the same uh, person or, or this is the same family, say, have like $200,000 uh, in liquid in some brokerage account. The family faces a uh, reality uh, which requires uh, 2.2 million uh, in covered liability. Right. Have you heard of any horror stories from your clients? I think a lot of people are underinsured, just like we mentioned before. They think that things don't happen to them, but these things happen all the time. Tell, tell some stories to uh, scare some people. All right. So let's, uh, I, I would go probably with the two stories I, I really recall as uh, something that still sits in my mind, right? One story happened in Los Altos where my office is located. Of course, I'm not calling people by names, right? But it, it was uh, a family who recently moved into California and they were planning to purchase real estate. And at the time the story happened, they were renting. They had an outer policy, which was on the edge of needed liability probably for, for their case. So uh, they have 100,000 in covered liability. And unfortunately, during the process of uh, closing of escrow, the lady hits bicyclist uh, on the streets of Los Altos. Mm. Yeah, and uh, the guy eventually, so the guy was uh, drunk, right? So it was not even her fault. Wait, the the biker was drunk? Yes. Oh. So it was not even this lady's fault because uh, you cannot predict, you cannot control actions of a drunk person who is biking. Yeah. However, from a legal point, uh, she was at fault uh, because bicyclist is always more vulnerable than person who is driving the car. And it, it was a potential litigation. Thank God it happened that it cost her less than uh, her auto liability, which was covered. But imagine the situation if if she would be sued for more money than insurance policy could provide. And then uh, litigators uh, would go against the policy, which is in the process of uh, closing. So it's kind of a scary story. <laughs> you, you, you really have to consider, you know, how, how much protection you need because auto policy and home policy are always uh, in some way connected. If, if it's not enough uh, uh, covered liability on your auto policy and something really bad happened, uh, you should really know that lawyers would go after your property. Another story was, uh, it was a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and I believe uh, it was uh, January 2nd. Nobody was really in the working mode after New Year. And one of clients of mine called me. He told me, I don't know what's going on, but property uh, management uh, called me and uh, it's a lot of water coming from my uh, loft uh, downstairs to the office. Uh, it came out to a very interesting event. It was a, a toilet hose, uh, which uh, basically go, goes to, <laughs> to the toilet and it just burst. But it was nothing to uh, stop the water. 
and water is pressurized. So all this water just flooded completely, 1,200 square feet loft. And uh, after it was collected on the floor, it just went down as a waterfall to the office, damaging everything what was in the office. Computers, uh, office furniture, the damage was significant. I remember this case because it was, for me, it was a case study how different insurance companies were covering it because it was very interesting situation. Who should really pay for what happened? Manufacturer of this hose, the owner of the loft, the policy or uh, commercial policy of the office who was underneath of uh, this waterfall or homeowners association policy where this loft was located. So it was an interesting case study and most significant impact was for homeowners association master policy in that case. So the owner of the loft and my client uh, technically paid nothing. Okay, cool. So wait, at the end of the day, the homeowners association had to pay for it? Yes. Uh, Why? It's question to people who we call adjusters, but uh, they legally deciding on who is basically more at fault. So the client was not able to uh, stop water because there was no way to stop pressure. And uh, uh, water valves are in hands of uh, association. Okay, got it. Right. And and, and then uh, after everything, you know, happened, besides your property, your ownership, I mean, the ceiling of office, which was beneath, does not belong to you. So if water goes from the concrete uh, slab, which is not belong to you, you, you cannot be responsible. That's right. And, and, and this is how those decisions. So uh, this case demonstrates actually how tough sometimes is uh, the way to discover who is really at fault and who would be paying for that and whose insurance uh, would be involved uh, and, and how, you know, this game would be rolled out. In many cases, it's not a simple solution. It's not easy. Got it. I know a lot of people want to know, how can you lower your insurance payments? <laughs> First, try to stay clear of claims. Just know that any claim uh, would uh, possibly uh, increase cost of insurance for you, even if you're purchasing uh, a different location. So if you, uh, the history of claims goes after uh, real estate itself and real estate owners, right? What, uh, what does it mean uh, if you made a claim at uh, a property which locates in, uh, again, Santa Clara, and then you decided to purchase something in Auckland, uh, but it would be associated with your name, most likely uh, your Auckland policy would be higher because you have history of claims. So first thing, try to claim only when it's necessary. When financial impact for you is significant and uh, you simply cannot avoid tapping insurance money. And second way to have reduced cost of insurance is having your deductible amount increased. The high deductible you agree to pay would be, the cheaper your policy would be. And what do you think is that fine line between low deductible, the more expensive policy or high deductible and less expensive policy? Good question, because I know landlords who, for some reason, skipping on enforcing 
tenants to have a rentals policy because rentals policy that your tenant has is a first line of defense between you and potential damage to your property. So in case if you settling everything up correctly and you have first line of defense like your tenants uh, renters policy because they have liability in case they flooded or they did something that damages your property. If this part has been done correctly, then you may raise your deductible up to, I say, 5,000, 10,000 instantly because you protect it already. I mean, it, it should be happening something really crazy, which would cause total loss of your property. But then $10,000 would look like nothing comparing to the cost of loss, potential loss. So I always in, encourage real estate uh, owners, if they are uh, landlords, to have as high as possible deductible to lower your insurance expense. Cool. And one last question. Do you have insurance policies for vacant homes? Like let's say we're doing a flip project. How do you insure a property like that? No insurance provider in very general sense uh, likes vacant property. For obvious reason, right? Because homeless people could live there or God knows what could happen when human eyes are not seeing what's going on on a daily basis. But uh, renovation or flipping is a common activity. And of course, the industry is trying to address it and ensure those pieces, which are unattended sometimes for days, maybe weeks, or maybe months. For this reason, uh, so-called in course of construction policy has been created. So it would assume protection of real estate as is, but it would be definitely uh, not the same protection uh, for personal property because personal property assumed to not be present at this place when contractors are working on it, right? So there, there is a way to insure, but I would say that the client should be always honest and honestly tell to uh, insurance professional what is going on with this property because some people trying to pay less and then course of construction policies are kind of expensive not crazy expensive but more expensive and i would like to encourage uh, our listeners never try you know to hide something in in reality you need the policy when you need it you need the policy when something really happened this very moment when you need it most you could be declined because you just lied at the point of policy activation. I, I would say just uh, tell truth and uh, the house is vacant or is undergoing construction, you better tell this because it would not be forever. And when it's done, when it's finished, uh, you can ensure it with regular policy, significantly cheaper, but you, you at least would be covered in case of something happened. So do you have any advice for any... New investors who are just getting to the field, who don't know anything about insurance policies? First of all, find uh, a good professional who would help you to do proper due diligence and to recognize uh, numbers and needed correct approaches uh, to what you're trying to do. I would suggest that due diligence, not only with insurance, uh, always makes sense because it's just a financial tool to bring you to idea, would your uh, plant business be profitable or not? But from insurance perspective, it's always good to ask a good professional, okay, would you please check how much this property would cost me in expense for insurance? Is it in the flood zone or not? 
is earthquake policy possibly needed or not? Because, uh, well, we, we have answers. I have answers for this question. You know, in some cases, it's probably not financially reasonable. In some cases, it does. Find a good professional. Talk to Oleg. Talk to someone else who you entrust. Go from that point further. Awesome. So how can people get in contact with you? It's very simple. My email address is kotov.agency at gmail.com. I would spell it. It's K-O-T-O-V as Victor dot agency at gmail.com. Or you can uh, simply give me a phone call at my cell phone number at 650-762-6837. And I uh, would always welcome your phone calls, emails, and always answer to any questions. And it would cost you nothing. So my advice is always free. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really helpful for you giving us all those information about insurance policies, as well as the horror stories that can happen if you're not properly insured. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye. Here are some of the key takeaways I got from speaking with Oleg. Single member LLCs aren't useful from a liability protection point of view. If it's just you and the LLC, it's pretty easy to find out who you are and pierce that corporate veil. And on the other hand, if you spend the same amount of money on an umbrella insurance policy, you could be covered for millions of dollars. You need to know your numbers. Get enough hazard insurance to cover your reconstruction costs. If a home is worth $2 million, but it only costs $500,000 to rebuild, then you only need hazard insurance for $500,000. But you need to get liability insurance for $2 million. Olaf recommends us to get policies with high deductibles and low premiums. Remember, you only need insurance when something happens. And there's no default policy that works for everyone. So make sure you're covered appropriately. Talk to an insurance professional to see what insurance is appropriate for your situation. Hope you learned a lot. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.